1: Uh, we've got playoff baseball. It's the Rays against the Astros in Houston at 2 p.m. today in the American League Divisional Series. The Bucks get ready to head to New Orleans for their important game in the NFC South. First place on the line against the Saints. And we've got college football. Florida hosting Auburn. College game day is there. We'll talk to Times College football writer Matt Baker all on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with Eduardo Encina and producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, if you'd like to sponsor a portion of this podcast, we got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. Now, here's what you do. For information, give us a little chat on Twitter at Sports Day TV, or you can hit me up on Twitter at NFL Stroud, and my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you be part of our team. All right, Eduardo Encina joins us now. We'll talk about the Bucks Saints in just a minute. But first, this afternoon at 2 p.m., the dream continues. The Rays will uh, go to Houston to play the Astros. And, uh, Eduardo, I think the Astros are the best team in baseball. Um, but it looks like because of the way that the Rays were able to win in uh, Oakland, they didn't use Tyler Glass now, so he's rested. He'll start the first game against Justin Verlander. Um, The pitching on paper matches up pretty well, though. Snell's not been stretched out, and then they'll come back with Morton. So given the way the Rays are playing right now, given their hot streak in the month of uh, uh, September and now into October, what realistic chance do you give these guys uh, to win this series? So, you know, just going back to the wild card game, this kind of goes to show how important it was –
2: That, you know, they got big innings, relief innings from Diego Castillo, Nick Anderson, obviously at the end with with Pagan uh, to to allow this to happen with, with allowing class now to, you know, kind of be able to be at full strength. And, you know maybe you get you know a good 5 or you know who knows maybe 6 innings out of him because he is stretched out mm-hmm. more than say you know Blake Snell but you know when when we look at, at you know what the Rays opportunity is here against the Astros like you said this is not only just a really good Houston Astros team this really might be the most complete team that they've had and that says something because they won the World Series a couple years ago. They've been deep in the playoffs um, and, and this really might be one of the best teams that you know we've seen in baseball in a while you know to be honest with you and the Yankees are really good too but yeah, I really think that the Astros are probably the favorites right now to to win this whole thing. So you know w- when you look at trying to beat these guys in a five game series and which is one that you know that starting pitching really is kind of magnified uh, you know, especially when, when you're you get those first two home games. Um I think they've got to kind of play the same game that they played in Oakland which is one that really kind of isn't their style you know you get some timely hits you get some some home runs and you get out to an early lead and then you can really kind of utilize that bullpen play matchups and and and, and hope that uh you know the you, the that, that, you know you can you can pull it out pull out one of these games in Houston and then kind of play it out from there um but it's going to be tough it's going to be a really tough road like you said these guys That they're facing, you know, Verlander, Cole, Greinke. These are not just guys who are top of the rotation guys. These are like, you know, Cy Young caliber pitchers. So, um, all of them, (laughs) all three of those guys. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a really tough mark. And if they're able to do this, you know, who knows what what this team is capable of? But this is definitely going to be their toughest test yet.
1: The Rays won the regular season series. Of course, it was the first series of the season when they took uh, three out of four. Uh, then they won just one game in Houston. In a short series, does this at, at all maybe perhaps benefit the Rays that it's just three out of five in as much as if they were to able to get a game or or maybe even two in Houston um, that in a short series maybe they, they upset the Astros more so than if it were a seven-game series. Yeah, what
2: what you want to do with teams that are favored like this is you want to steal one at home. You know, if you can steal that game one or game two, it totally changes that dan- that, that di- dynamic of a series. Yeah, um, especially because it's, home cause it's and you five. you win right. one
1: and you're one game away.
2: Right, because it's a five gamer, and and you know, let's say you steal, let's say you steal game two, and you go back one and one, you're able with to Charlie win that Morton game three with Charlie Morton on the mound. All of a sudden. You're up two one in a series, and you can, all you need to do is win one more. So those series get real, real catch, real tough, real fast if you can take that two to one lead. So uh, no matter what, and um, you know th- this is this is what this team has kind of been built for, though. You know, I remember earlier in the year they were not very good at winning close games. Yeah. Uh, but you know, over the course of the season, they've gotten really good at that. So. Um, and that's what this is going to be. You know, they're, they're, these they're, you're not going to play uh, blowout games against the Houston Astros. You're not. I guess you're not going to win you're blowout win games. Those, right. I know in Houston there were a couple. I think there was one of those games that they lost. It was a really you know lopsided game. But you're not going to win those kind of games. You're going to have to scrap scrape it out and really kind of uh, you know each out counts. Each opportunity to manufacture a run to get a
1: you know a, a big bomb is going to is going to really kind of magnify these games. It would seem, in my opinion, that Houston might be the best team in baseball. Clearly, they won over 100 games. They weren't really challenged all that much in their division. The only challenge was whether or not they were going to have the number one seed, right, which is why yeah. the Rays are playing them. In a weird way, when you have all those expectations, you're at home. I know they're a good ball club, but the Rays seem to be playing a little bit with house money. Not everybody yeah. thought they would win 96 games. Not everybody thought they would make the playoffs or, or the ALDS. So uh, this is a team that's looser and— Really, is coming in there with little
2: momentum, right? Yeah, I mean, th- this is they're what the Rays are right now is kind of what Houston was several years ago, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so, you know, you build momentum; it keeps carrying. We know that these guys know how to celebrate, um, and and you know that 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 kind of propels you. You know, I remember, you know, what was it? I think two thousand fourteen. The or maybe 15, you know, 14, I think it was, when Kansas City Royals came out of nowhere as a wild-card team. They did. And they beat the A's, actually, and came back in a wild-card game, I think, in Oakland to win that. And out of nowhere, they just kind of built on it and built on it until the point where, you know, they swept the Orioles in in the 2014, you know, American League Championship Series. I think that year they lost to the Giants, but or they lost – I forget who, but like, but the next year they were back in the World Series and won it and beat the Mets. So, you know, the teams that, that build momentum at the right time, even if they don't have playoff experience, they keep building that momentum. They they can do some special things. Now, obviously, the, right now the Astros are kind of in a different boat because they have that experience. They have that that postseason experience. They know what it's like to to uh, you know to, to win big games in the postseason. They've won them and lost them. They've won big game sevens. They've lost big game sevens. So, uh, but they're battle tested as they come right now. Um, you know, and every year it's a different team. You know, Charlie Morton's a guy who was on those teams, and yeah. that's one of the big reasons that that they brought him here because he brings that kind of, uh, uh, you know, experience. And you know, he's a guy who can, you know, kind of, you know, Charlie Morton isn't a guy who says a lot. Like he's not the rah rah guy. But there's no doubt that guys around him look to him and look and see how he handles certain situations and, and they feed off him. But at the same time, it is a great thing that this is a team that's kind of finding its own way as we go along, find, learning almost how to win in the postseason. We saw that last night, um, and you know we'll see if they can extend that uh, You know, starting today in, in Houston.
1: I think the key to their bullpen, which is is the strength of their team. I mean, they it's run like Kevin Cash said it after the game. It's, it's they're about run prevention. Mm-hmm. They allowed just the one run and run in the you know the winner take all game against Oakland. To me, Nick Anderson has made the difference in those close games. You look at yeah. their record in one run games before he got there and since. I mean, he is a wipeout guy, uh, and he also is the bridge to Emilio Pagan, or can even pitch you know the ninth inning if he has to. Yeah his his stuff is nasty man like you know, he's got that 97 98
2: fastball that kind of rises up in the zone and then you, you you combine that with the curveball that's really a 12 to 6 you really can't, yeah. can't really read it and man that you know, that that's a tough tough thing for a hitter to kind of you know fight off against so um you know the, I know that the it's, the further the, these guys go in the national narrative and, and you know, we're going to see that, you know, everyone trying to explain the Tampa Bay Rays. Figure out who they are. Even though we kind of know who they are. But, yeah. you know, I heard last night the narrative of, like, these guys were kind of these, you know, ragtag bunch of, of rejects. And I don't necessarily feel that that's the case. But a guy like Nick Anderson was a guy who played, you know, he his path is one that's a really interesting one. You know, you know independent ball, you know, really – you know high draft pick got into you know, trouble yeah and and, and he it has really kind of come into his own right now and and you know you look at this team and it's it's there's a lot of guys like that i i like to see it as a guy a bunch of guys who've really kind of come into their own together at the right time whether it's nick anderson whether it's you know tyler glass now whether it's willie adamas whether it's Yandi diaz you know a mm-hmm. bunch of guys who really have kind of all in their own. Austin Meadows might be the perfect example. Yeah, they've all really sure. kind of come into their own at the right time, and uh, you know they're they're creating what what could be a really special window of winning for this team. Which is, as we all know, the guys who actually follow this team every day, that that's really the way they've got to be built and the way they've got to win and sustain
1: winning. They're a confident team, and and I think that um, you're right. They've they've found different guys every night to uh, to win, guys like Travis Darno. So um, we'll see how they do. But game one is on, uh, of course, today at 2 p.m. And uh, and then the game's one and two in Houston. And then they come home to play on uh, Sunday, uh, I believe, uh, in, in Tropicana Field. So those those times will be announced. Let's turn to the Bucks because this is the time of year where you have everything going at once, right? The, the mm-hmm. Braves are in the postseason. The Lightning have started their season. And then the Bucks go to New Orleans. And I was trying to think, like, when was the last – Game. I know last year, you know, they obviously they were two and one, um, and you know they were playing the New England Patriots. I want to say, um, you know, and they wound up they wound up losing that game. But this feels different um, to me. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick was hot a year ago. It's been a long time since the Bucks have been in October challenging for first place in the NFC South. Now a lot of things had to happen. We talked about the injuries. It hasn't affected New Orleans in terms of the win-loss. They're 2-0 without Drew Brees. Um, but this is a great opportunity for what looks to be a really hot team on offense right now. We'll get into the defense, which is doing great things against the run. But offensively, I think this team can score on New Orleans, even though they held a great Dallas team to almost no points last week.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a little bit of a different win as we as, for, the, for the Saints as we kind of yeah. know them to be. But um, in terms of, of what the Bucks have kind of become, I mean, th- there's, there's, there's no secret. I think the narrative w- with them right now is how close they are to being 3-1. and one, Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, they go into this game being 2-2. Two and two, And like we said, you know, <laughs> every, we've talked about this every week is how, it, you know, the, it's a week-to-week thing, you know, up and down and, and they go. So, you know, if they don't play well, you know, Sunday in, in New Orleans, it changes a little bit too. Cause, yeah. But, but at the same time, this is a great opportunity for them because they are – on an upward trajectory, there's no doubt about that, especially offensively. You know, you can't really uh, think of a better way to go into New Orleans and coming off of that big road win in L.A. and the way they did it, which was really kind of a wild, wild west shootout that they won. You know, and w- whether it was offensively, you know, trading back and forth or it was a defense that basically, you know, at the end, you know, came up with a big turnover, one of five takeaways – you know, four takeaways to give the offense the opportunity to 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 win a track meet, basically, and um, you know, so you know they can win that kind of game. Now, I think this is going to be a little bit different of a game. It's not going to be so much of a of a of a track meet kind of thing. Um, you know, you're not. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to throw for five hundred yards, but. They can move the ball, obviously. So, um, you know, but but going back to the offense, you know, and and we we know that where this all starts off with, and you know, you're writing a a, a big thing on this, you know, for Sunday, is you know, it all starts with Jameis Winston and his ability to kind of grow in this offense, and I think day week to week, uh, we we've really seen that. You know, one thing that I'm writing for Sunday, uh, for you know, our online early read. Uh, segment is about how well Jameis has really developed in terms of getting the ball away quickly. Yep. His time to throw each week has gotten better, and it's correlated with better games and better uh, passing ratings every day. So as as much as he's gotten comfortable with this offense, I think that's the best sign we can see. And also combine that with just you know the notion that this team is starting to now it's starting to win the turnover battle, you know, and, and, and uh, that turnover margin is so important in the NFL. We saw how, how much the team struggled with that last year. Not only were they giving up the ball, but they weren't getting any takeaways. Right. You know, so it's it's kind of a two-pronged sword. Like I said, you, you look back at that LA, that Rams game, four takeaways. They gave the ball away once on the interception. But when you're getting the ball that – when you're getting that many takeaways, you really don't – it really negates, you know, maybe the one interception that – that 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 you might throw and like you know you can go back to early in the year, you know when when we were asking uh, Bruce Arians you know how how many interceptions are you okay with, <laughs> you know and I think he said one you that's know it. one a game you know when you get into that two three that's when you're getting a little bit dicey and especially when you're getting the takeaways that this defense is getting so I think it'll be a really interesting game this is a huge opportunity for the Bucks uh, especially when you consider uh, the other ad- added caveat to this which is. You know, this is their second division game. They won their first on the road. They have an opportunity to win their second on the road. And uh, when you win your first two division games on the road, that speaks volumes for you down the stretch. It's house money, right? Because then you just have to defend home turf. Now, obviously, this team so has struggled, yet. struggled yeah. defending home turf. But I, ideologically speaking, you know, it puts you in a good situation.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, you know, in talking to Clyde Christensen, you know, we've talked about the week one the two interceptions, uh, especially the screen pass. And what Clyde told me is, you know, we're just not accepting stupid. Like, you can't do stupid anymore. And he said that to me, and I was kind of surprised by it. But, um, you know, Jameis made one bad decision in that Rams game where in that situation when you're up that many points, you can't try to fit it in there and cover two and get the ball picked off and return for a touchdown. Now you're in a dogfight when really you had control of that game. So he's still prone to, like, a, a, a slip here and there. But I'll tell you what's been impressive to me is how the offensive line has come together and, and just really stoned Aaron Donald. If they have a performance like that um, with Ryan Jensen and Ali Marpet and those guys um, really protecting Jameis, I think that's one of the reasons why he feels comfortable standing in the pocket. But they've also run the ball. I mean, you've written about Rojo a lot. Yeah, uh, I don't think his confidence could be any higher. He went back to the place where he played in his collegiate ball at USC uh, there in the Memorial Stadium. And he came alive. Uh, I mean, if not for, you know, a a holding penalty, um, you know, he has a huge day. But he's averaging, what, 5.7 yards a carry? Yeah, almost six yards
2: a carry. And and so, you know, we've talked about a lot is how much – and give credit to the coaching staff is how much they realize that – Rebuilding Ronald Jones was a lot about his confidence. It wasn't about his ability to run through the tackles. You know, maybe he needed to learn to be a better pass catcher. But at the same time, the big thing was for him to understand that he can be an impact back at the NFL level. And that's what he's done. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's been in a system where he hasn't been the feature ball carrier, but as you've seen down the stretch, he's really been the go-to guy. You know, They're, they're, they're dedicated to playing Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones at the same time. But I think you can see that... That Ronald Jones is really kind of evolving into the, you know, he might RB1. not be the yeah he might not be yeah. the starting running back yeah but he's the go to running back yeah. and um you know if you take away you know the one game where he kind of he reaggravated a, a foot injury and he's every other game he's been that go to guy in the second half and he's and he's delivered you know and you know what I like to see is you know. In that Rams game, you know he probably, like you said, that holding call. You take away that holding call, he's probably looking at like a hundred and forty, you know, yard day. Mm-hmm. But down the stretch, some really smart running, you know, some in, you know instinctual running, and you know him cutting back inside to save, you know, save save some, uh, make run sure clock. that they run the clock down on the one play uh, that leads to really them killing a lot of clock down the stretch. Um, you can tell that he's, he's you know. I don't think he wasn't a smart runner but I think he's becoming a smarter runner as as he's building this confidence and really you know there's one thing there's confidence and then there's the results that Accompany the confidence, and I think he's starting to see both of those. things.
1: Yeah, you got it. when you when you're averaging five something a carry, you're doing something right. And he's been more physical as a runner, running inside this year with the weight gain that he's had. Yeah. So he's been he's been terrifically defensively. The thing that the Bucks do the best is stop the run. They're number one in the NFL. We talked about this gauntlet of running backs they were going to face. Starting with Christian McCaffrey, who they absolutely stoned, including on the final play of that game up there. Um, you know, and, and then they go from him to Saquon Barkley, who had nothing in the first half before he became injured. And then last week, of course, Todd Gurley, other than uh, some touchdown runs inside the five-yard line, didn't hurt them that much either. Those three running backs have gained less than 80 yards combined in the last three games. But Alvin Kamara is a beast as well, and he's run very well for the New Orleans Saints, run inside more than he used to uh, without Mark Ingram there. So Kamara, stopping Kamara will be Yet another another job one, I guess, for their defense. But man, you got to be impressed that even with Shaq Barrett with the nine sacks, Nasib a good pass rusher, those guys are setting the edge and letting letting the big guys clog up the middle and letting the linebackers run free and make tackles.
2: Yeah, it's all been a big formula. You know, it's kind of been the perfect storm. You know, Barrett, Shaq Barrett talks about a lot mm-hmm. when when we talk about how his, he's had this individual success. But I think when you talk about stopping the run, it's really come to that. You're you're creating this almost clone of uncertainty here that, that a running back really can get out to. I mean, when we look, we talk about McCaffrey and, and you know, all these guys, Gurley, Barkley, these are all guys who, you know, if they're allowed to get into space, whether it's oh, yeah. as a route runner or a ball carrier, yeah. these guys cause damage. And really, that's been the key. They have not allowed these guys to even get into space and, and allow them to use, obviously, what's, what's some very special talents uh, with the ball. So I think Kamara's a little bit different animal because he's such a good weapon as a pass catcher. He darts up the field so quickly. He's such a good route runner. Um but you know, we've seen that, you know, Gurley and 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 Saquon and and, and McCaffrey are the same way in terms of that. But um you know, this is another tough task and you know, I think that, you know, like again, we talk about the confidence of this team and what is a really for the most part a really young defense.
1: Yeah.
2: They're starting to grow that confidence as well. You know, we, they can look and they can check off these these boxes on their mm-hmm. on their resume. We stopped this guy. We stopped this guy. We stopped this guy. It doesn't get any easier, obviously. You know, you got Camara uh, this week. You've got McCaffrey another shot at, at, at McCaffrey next week. And, you know, he's going to be, you know, looking to, to – he's going to be angry. Mm-hmm. He's going to be running angry, as they say. So, um, you know, it doesn't get any easier. But, you know, when when you – if you or I were – going, were, if if I was to tell – if you were to tell me, Rick – that you know, going into this week, that the Bucks would have the top rush defense in the in the NFL, I would be I would tell you you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but that's what that's what they are.
1: Probably deserve a better fate than three and one, as you already mentioned, or than two and two, as you mentioned. The only other thing about this game that will be interesting with no Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater uh, can run this offense pretty much the same way because it's not a, really a vertical passing game um, as much as a controlled one. But T- Taysom Hill comes in and plays quarterback, and we talked to Todd Bowles today. Him and Sean Payton were on the staff together in Dallas uh, with Bill Parcells. He has a lot of respect for Sean, but the way they've used Taysom Hill, th- it's, it is different because he's not merely there to run the ball, although he can, he's a very physical, short yardage guy, um, but he can throw it as well.
2: Yeah, and it, obviously the presence on the field when he comes on the field is the biggest thing because yeah. there's so many different weapons. This isn't just a notion of – Bull said it today. This isn't just a guy who would just cat. sit there in the wild can run. You know, when he's on the field, you have to account for him in a lot of different ways, whether it's as a ball runner, as a thrower, as a receiver, as a blocker. Yeah. You know, there's so many different ways that, that, that he can hurt you. So um, it's it's a wrinkle that's, that's tough. Because it's one that's developing, you know, it's one that, like, you don't know what the next thing, the next way that Taysom Hill can kind of hurt you, because he can hurt you in so many ways, so, um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, this, even with Drew Brees, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, this is an offense that isn't necessarily the big, you know, downfield vertical offense that we've seen, you know, maybe over the years, you know, Brees obviously, as he's gotten older, he's become more of a, you know, when we talk about, you know, the the, the air yards, Mm -hmm. they're a lot shorter, he's throwing Mm -hmm. a lot of shorter passes. You know, um, so w- w- when you talk about that, uh, you know, it's a little bit different offense and it, it's evolved, but still, you know, we saw, you know, th- that first drive in L.A., what, what the Bucks did, you know. There weren't too many huge, you know, gains there. They just, you know, chalked it up, you know, down to down, kept moving the chains. I think that's what this Bucks defense has to kind of guard against. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of that that thing where, you know, the – the, the Saints just start moving, 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 moving the chains. You know, third down conversions, how important those are. Um, you know, getting in, in, forcing them into longer down, longer uh, down yardage. So yeah. I, I think that's kind of the key in terms of, you know, kind of stopping and saying really, frankly, what Dallas actually did a pretty good job of against them
1: uh, last week. oh well, they made them force them uh, to take and kick four field goals right. was their only offense. They didn't get in the end zone, so that was a good thing. Big weekend, of course, in college football. Who better to talk to than Matt Baker, who joins us right now. Matt, Florida is hosting Auburn. College game day is there, so it must be a big game. It's been a while since ESPN has started their show uh, there. Look, I, I, I think if you're a Gators fan, you've got to be really excited. They're, they've got a couple big games ahead of them, but they're undefeated. But that Auburn team looks pretty strong right now. How, first of all, what, what does this mean to the Florida program to be playing a big game like this and have that sort of national attention?
3: I, I don't want to go too far and say that Florida is, is back because I, I'm still, you know, to me, they're going to be back once they start regularly competing for SEC championships and playoff appearances. But this right. says Florida is as close as it's been in a while. It feels like this, this is what Florida fo- football is supposed to feel like, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, they're, they're undefeated against a major SEC power That's was a rivalry, kind of maybe still sort of is a rivalry. It's a big game at the Swamp. I mean, it's the first top-ten matchup at, at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium since 2012. Game day is there for the first time in seven years. This is what Florida football is supposed to feel like. So I think Gator fans should be optimistic that they're heading in the right direction. They've got a chance Saturday to get what would be a a monumental win just because this Auburn team, there's a good, you can make a valid case that they've been the best team in the country so far through the first month.
1: Yeah. And they've certainly played some good teams as well. And, and, you know, it seems like what five minutes ago that everybody had Gus Malzahn, you know, on a, on on a flaming seat. I mean, that, that it looked like he was going to be maybe, you know, the first well-known coach to, uh, to get his walking papers, but this Auburn team, he's, he's turned this thing around and quickly.
3: Absolutely. It's crazy how things go in major college football, especially at Auburn, which is the craziest of the crazies. Um, <laughs> but but, you know, if things had gone a little bit differently, Bo Nix, their true freshman quarterback, picked up a rush on fourth and three at the end against Oregon and then completed the um, the, the touchdown drive to win. If that doesn't happen, yeah. then this conversation is, is different. Um, or mm-hmm. or if, you know, Jimbo was able to complete a comeback a couple weeks ago um, at, mm-hmm. in the Auburn A&M game. So. it's still less life on the edge in the SEC at a program like Auburn. But to me, Gus Malzahn, I I still think, maybe I'm crazy, I still think he's one of the smartest minds in in all of of football. I mean, you just look at what he's done over his career, back when he was a really innovative high school coach in Arkansas. Um, Goes to the University of Arkansas, kind of brings back the Wildcat single wing thing, because that's what the offense was best suited for with Felix Jones and Darren McFadden. Goes to the University of Tulsa as the offensive coordinator. Completely different system, completely different personnel. Has a 5,000-yard passer in Paul Smith. Eventually, lands at Auburn. Does a different thing with Cam Newton, wins a national title. Later, comes back to Auburn, does a slightly different tweak on that. Gets within 18 seconds of a national championship against Florida State. So, you know, it's been up and down, but I think that's because of how competitive the SEC West is. But to me, he's a really, really sharp guy, and he's got this offense uh, and this team really clicking and playing at a high level.
1: And just skipped right over Arkansas State. I can't believe you did that again. Yeah. Man. We yeah. call him Arkansas State's gospel <laughs> That's
3: that's <laughs> it's fair. a cradle
1: of SEC coaches, man. Come on.
3: <laughs> that's, but anyway. that's fair. Uh that's fair. Yeah, and I mean fair. he is he is absolutely such an, an Arkansas guy through and through, which is why in some ways it yeah, would have made is. sense for him to go back to the Hawks a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, but alas, he's at Auburn coaching the number seven team in the country that I think might be underrated there.
1: Uh, not bad. Uh, and I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season, we heard Georgia, obviously Alabama, uh, LSU. Now all of a sudden Auburn is a, uh, you know, is a big player in this whole thing. Uh, he has, you know, at, at, look, this coaching fraternity is one that, uh, you know, that guys bump into each other all the way through. Uh, you're uh Writing about Dan Mullen and uh, they they go back; they got history as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to when Dan was the offensive coordinator at Florida. You know, went to visit uh, Gus when he was coaching in Arkansas. Some of it was to check out Mitch Mustaine, their quarterback, but they ended up talking ball. And you know, Dan doesn't necessarily attribute anything specifically that he does now or did back then to something he learned with Gus, but was very sure. very impressed with him. And, and you know, Gus Malzahn at his press conference the other day. And Auburn spoke very highly of Dan Mullen and, and, and kind of what he's done. Um, I think one other interesting wrinkle to this this coaching matchup, um, you know, Auburn's when when Auburn is clicking or when Gus Malzahn is clicking, it's because they've got a really good run game. Right now, they're second in the SEC, 251 rushing yards a game. The uh, the running backs coach, who's I think deserves some credit for that, a, a guy I think you're familiar with, uh, Carnell Williams is what it's listed as, uh, Cadillac Williams.
1: Don't dead my Cadillac, man. Yeah, I remember Cadillac Williams. He was uh, he was he was a really fine player here. Unfortunately, he had two knee injuries, but great guy. And the last time Auburn had this sort of you know, I mean they've always I think they've always produced good running backs. But if you remember him and Ronnie Brown were yep. quite the tandem back in the day.
3: Absolutely, they've they've had other you know good running backs since then, of course. But you know, mm-hmm. I think Cadillac deserves some credit because this is his first really big time job he's had college shops before he was a uh, i think the running backs coach down at, at img for a year or two um but yeah. again he's got he's certainly part of having this auburn offense clicking with gus malzahn back calling plays
1: all right so tell me what are the keys to the game i mean obviously this is the biggest test for their young quarterback who's not had many starts in his career uh, the defense is going to be tested what what's which side of the ball are you looking for to uh, to have to win this game
3: I think for Florida, the key, I mean, I think they're going to have to kind of muck up the game, get it a real defensive slugfest is what I think they're going to have to do. Um, and I think the game plan, what what I'm curious to see is Florida's offense against Auburn's defense. Um, Auburn's defensive line is probably the best in the country. Derek Brown's a a potential first round pick at, at tackle, probably the best interior defensive lineman in the country. Um, Big Cat, Bryant, Marlon Davidson are the the two ends who are doing well. got to love anybody named Big Cat, of course, um, with a K. Big Cat with a K. Um, so I, I think if Florida is going to have a chance to win this game, I went back. We've got something on TampaBay.com. I went back to the Mississippi State game, the Mullen Bowl, last year in Starkville and, and looked at what Florida did uh, against those guys because it was a similar situation. Florida wasn't going to be able to block Mississippi State's really, really good defensive front. So they kind of decided, you know what, we're, we're gonna kinda stop trying. Um, they threw thirty-three passes that day, and Felipe Franks did. Fifteen of them were screens, just immediate bubble screens, mm. screens to the running back, that sort of thing. And another the six were really quick hit slants or, or you know, little comebackers or something like that. So they didn't even try to throw it downfield. They were just get the ball out in space and, and because if we, if there are quarterbacks having to hold onto it for more than two seconds, we're screwed. So I think this is going to be a similar situation, just try and get Kyle Trask to do some really quick passes. He's very accurate. Try and get the ball in the hands of the Van Jeffersons and, and and Trayvon Grimes and those guys and let them try and make something work. I think that's Florida's best chance for success.
1: Makes sense. You want to get those linemen that like to rush going side to side, not up the field. So that's one way to slow them down for sure. Yep. Um, that should be a great game. It'll be a great atmosphere. College game day is there. Matt Baker will be there. It's going to be going to be cool to, uh, cool to watch. Closer to home, however, a little bit of trouble over there at South Florida and Charlie Strong, and that's putting it mildly. Look, I, I, when the season began and I was at the Wisconsin game, it turns out that Wisconsin is a very good team. Um, they they very likely have a chance to be in the you know the Big Ten championship, if not find their way even further than that. And so maybe no embarrassment to lose to them. It, it wasn't even a close game. It was it was really just out of hand. But they've had a bunch of those games since then. And to watch Southern Methodists coming in here, and you called it. You said this SMU team is a very good team. They had just beaten TCU. They put it on them. And now all of a sudden, Charlie Strong goes into UConn, which I think has lost 17 straight to Division One 1A schools. And if he doesn't win, Matt, what kind of trouble could Charlie be in?
3: Uh, the trouble where you're out of a job. That, that, mm. that's the, the trouble. I mean, I think it's it's that bad. You know, our, our, our colleague, uh, the great Joseph Knight, um, had a point the other day, and I think he's going to write about it this weekend in the Tampa Bay Times and on Bay.com. It's kind of like, you know, in 2016, the game that did Charlie Strong in at Texas was Kansas. Because Kansas, we know how bad they've been. Since really the Charlie Weiss era, maybe before,
1: sure, th- sure, they've
3: been just an absolute mess. Texas should not be losing to Kansas. Period. End of story. Even if they're down to their eighth quarterback, that should not happen. USF, the gap between USF and UConn isn't that big, but UConn is just awful. It, it's you know the, the program you know at USF is obviously not headed in a good direction. It's been was it nine consecutive losses to Division One teams. They're not in a good place. But UConn is in a worse place. They're a worse team. They've been in this rut for a long time. So if we're in a situation where we're talking next week about USF losing to UConn, I mean, I don't know how Charlie could recover from that. I don't. I don't. I, I just don't know how how you could do it. Um, I don't know what the argument would be to that that you could make that the program's in good shape and getting better if they were to lose to a bad Huskies team.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, athletic director Mike Kelly did not hire hire Charlie Strong, and he certainly wants to get things going. Charlie has promised lots of changes in the lineup, Matt. But if you're not playing the best players now, what did what was spring practice and the fall and the first four games about?
3: Yeah, I mean, y- you hope that you get better as the season goes on. You, know, you understand things there. You know, there's teams all over the country. They understand things better once the actual lights come on, and and maybe mm-hmm. this guy's not as good as we thought, and, and that sort of thing and I do think there's something to the new offense with with what Kerwin Bell's running and that taking a little bit of time to to adjust and and for everybody to get on board with it but that doesn't excuse what's going on. USF, if USF is the program that we think it is, which is a top-tier Group of 5, or I, I should rephrase that. A program with top-tier Group of 5 potential. If that's where they are, they shouldn't be losing 41 to nothing. At home to Southern, you know, to, to SMU in the third quarter, that shouldn't happen. They shouldn't only be was a 10 or 11 point favorite on the road at UConn. That shouldn't happen. So that tells me that there's just some major issues going on because this program, again, I, I don't know that I'm not expecting them to to uh, win the national championship or go to the playoff or you know win 11 games, but they're a, f- a long ways away from where they should be.
1: Okay, Matt. Uh, the Golden Knights, of course, uh, have a very big game in the AAC. They play Cincinnati, which, you know, uh, until they got to Ohio State, looked like they were going to be a real, uh, real force. But these, these are two really good teams in this in this conference. How do you see that one going?
3: Well, in fairness to Cincinnati, there, Ohio State's playing as well as any team in the country, maybe playing there. better than anybody in the country. So that forty-two nothing loss. You know, I can kind of excuse that, especially considering how Cincinnati has rebounded from there. I think this is going to be a really, really big test for for, for the Knights. I mean, Cincinnati, again, they've recruited at maybe the best level or one of the top couple of teams in the group of five w- with recruiting. Luke Fickle's done a very good job of kind of being able to sustain some success there. They've got a good amount of experience. And Nippert Stadium on a week night weird things can happen there. I think that place is going to be absolutely rocking. I think Cincinnati absolutely has a puncher's chance to knock off UCF there because this UCF team is a little bit shaky, still not uh, not as good as the last couple of men.
1: It would be the second loss for UCF, and that would probably take away their national championship hopes. But who knows? Maybe they can rebound uh, if they do. But yeah, big game up there, uh, of course, against Cincinnati. All right, nationally, uh, last week, Matt, I watched this game, and and I love Mac Brown. I really do. I think he did the right thing, but he had Clemson. And he had them in a bad spot. I mean, they they had a potential overtime game. They they score late, and he goes for two. They don't make it at North Carolina. But this Clemson team suddenly looks vulnerable, and I think maybe you reflected that in the in your in your poll anyway.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was willing to give Clemson the benefit of the doubt the last couple weeks just because they they didn't seem as dominant as I expected. Um, but after the the U N C game, I, I I'm not like jumping off the ship or anything, but I'm I'm very I'm getting more skeptical just because they haven't clicked the way their talent should. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is one of the most talented quarterbacks of the Rivals era. There's no question about that. As as we sit here now almost halfway through a sophomore season, he's 50 57th in the country in passing efficiency despite having, you know, just some of the best receivers outside of Alabama in the country. So to me something's not quite right with Clemson yet. The good thing for them is their schedule is such that they can still figure it out. The ACC is is, is weak. You know, they've got a bye week now or an an open date before they play Florida State which is still not, you know, they I feel better about the Noles now than I did a couple of weeks ago, but they're still not in a great shape. So Clemson should still kind of, you know, wipe the floor with them. But if, if Clemson can still turn this around and, and Get moving and still absolutely be a playoff team. But for me, the margin of error is diminishing because, given their schedule, I think they have to not only win but start winning more convincingly to to have a chance at uh, defending their championship.
1: What do you see uh, with with the quarterback? I mean, he, you know, I, I don't know that his receivers have come up big the way they have in the past.
3: I think there's some of that. I, I think that the offensive line, you know, lost some some good pieces from where it was a year ago. So I think that's. Part of it, and I think some of it is, you know, sophomore slumps are, are not uncommon at all. Go back to, yeah. to Jameis Winston, a quarterback we both know well. Obviously, in 2013, he was fantastic, um, one of the most you know efficient passers in the history of the game. And then 2014, he wasn't the same. Threw a lot more picks. Yeah, he, a lot of the talent around him was still the same. Um, but there were some, some key pieces that were missing. I think teams kind of figured him out a little bit more, and there was a little bit of a regression to the mean. So I think some of that's what Trevor Lawrence is going through. He will still make a throw or two every game that you're like, "Holy cow!" There's there's not a lot of people who have played this game who can do that. Um, but he's he he has been absolutely vulnerable, and that's why you know I dropped him. I dropped Clemson all the way to seventh on my ballot last week. Wow! Um, mm-hmm. Just as I was going through, thinking, okay, they haven't looked as good as Bama or Ohio State. They don't have a they win the over that Georgia has over Notre Dame, LSU has over Texas, Auburn has um, over Oregon, and then Oklahoma has looked better, too. So I just kind of kept dropping them. They're in that 3-7 to seven mix to me. So, again, they're still very much in the mix with, in contention to win a national title. But they start got to start kind of figuring themselves out if they're going to have a chance of not only getting to the playoffs, but really having an opportunity to, to win the thing again.
1: Uh, Matt, it's possible there could be an undefeated team that uh, doesn't get invited, uh, I mean, I suppose. But, you know, how much could the ACC hurt Clemson this year because it's just so down?
3: It absolutely will. And, and the fact, too, that the Clemson's marquee non-conference game was Texas A&M. You know Texas mm-hmm. A&M is, is very talented, um, but I think right now they're looking at maybe 8-4, and four, probably 7-5. and five. Um, Jimbo almost lost to Arkansas last week. Arkansas is bad. I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of a rivalry, but you know, the, the fact is the ACC being bad and then the big marquee non-con game being bad absolutely hurts Clemson's strength of schedule, especially if they're going to be going up against you know in the playoff committee sides, an LSU that has a win at Texas, not just over Texas at Texas, um, plus all the SEC West and Georgia, which has a, t- a pretty tough schedule, and and Alabama and you know, Ohio State and, and so forth. So they again, I think they're gonna they're gonna have to get some style points going forward.
1: SEC is looking strong. They may uh, eat their own, but they're looking pretty strong uh, as a conference once again. Iowa's at Michigan. Uh, Jim Harbaugh needs a win over a ranked opponent. That hasn't happened in a long time.
3: Yeah, and I, I think it will happen. I don't feel great about it just because Michigan has, has not impressed me, and, and Iowa – they're such an Iowa team. I mean, I don't know how any other way to say it other than that. But their their quarterback play is solid enough. They've got really good defense. I mean, they've given up 34 points total through four weeks. Um, they're just Iowa. I mean, I guess we could kind of almost start booking Kirk Ferentz's uh, condo here for the Outback Bowl in a couple months. But um, so Michigan has more talent and should win. But I don't feel great about the, the Wolverines there.
1: Oh, I can hear John McVeigh now. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how we get do I, I don't I what do we, what a matchup we have. We got Iowa. I mean, are you kidding me? How how we do it. So I yeah. win and Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Iowa Iowa has uh has managed to uh, to take some residents up here and it probably helps them for recruiting, I'm sure. But uh Michigan State is at Ohio State. I'm with you, Matt. I haven't seen a better uh team in the in the nation than Ohio State, the way they're going right now. And I think the biggest part of it is no surprise once again of course, their head coach is doing a hell of a job, but their quarterback is playing at a different level right now.
3: Yeah, Justin Fields is finally doing what everybody thought he was going to be able to do. I mean, he and Trevor Lawrence are, I think, statistically the two most talented—if you use the recruiting rankings—the two most talented quarterback prospects of this modern rivals recruiting era. Um, Justin Fields didn't—it didn't work out for him at Georgia. I mean, some of that is he was stuck behind a Jake Fromm, who, sure. you know, all he had done was lead Georgia to a national title game the potential to win it and then uh, lead him to an SEC uh, East title as well. So it it would have been hard for Kirby to justify benching from who was playing so well. Um, But Justin Fields is more talented and we're finally seeing him being able to run and throw like the maniac uh, for Ohio state, which again, the the Buckeyes are looking every bit like a, a a national championship contender.
1: Wow. So an exciting week of college football. Again, he's Matt Baker. You will be in Gainesville at the, uh, Florida Auburn game college game day is there. That's the big game in the nation and it's right down the road and Matt Baker will bring it to you on tampabay.com. Thanks Matt. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks Rick. So a big game in new Orleans for the bucks on Sunday, a chance to take over first place with a three and two record, but with a win over new Orleans, that would give them the tiebreaker uh, before they head to England as, as part of this long, long road trip that we are on with them. And then the rays of course, this afternoon at two o'clock in the American league divisional series at houston uh and we will be watching that you can go on Tampa bay.com read all about it we're water ya i'm rick stroud thanks guys we'll talk to you on monday